Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the merciful servants of God. I apologize for the one hour head <laughs> start. Um, it won't happen too often, but sometimes it will. And what I'll do is uh, try to change the time before a half hour before or an hour before the program begins at 2.30. But normally I would say 95% of the time the program will start at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So again, welcome for those around or living in the United States and around the world. Uh, my name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, this will be an interesting program, uh, and because of that, because of the material that I have to cover, I decided to allow this program to be for 90 minutes live. And if you want to call in, please call in, I would say, 15 minutes before the end of the program, because I have a lot of material to cover. So I would appreciate it if you did that. And this program, the title of it is Teenagers and Dating. Uh, this is a, a huge topic uh, to discuss. And before I discuss this, I'm going to, what I usually do on this program is discuss any uh, significant events that has happened around the world. Well, we know that this fiscal cliff has been delayed again for what I understand a couple of months. I, I did hear that regardless of them signing this bill that they finally uh, approved of, that our taxes are still going to go up. <laughs> so it just doesn't make any sense, does it? But And now uh, this country, uh, as far as fiscally anyway, we're $16 uh, trillion in debt. But uh, the truth of the matter is when you include the entitlement programs like Medicaid, um, financial aid and welfare programs and all that, the overall debt is over $200 trillion. So, of course, no politician 
is going to tell you, well, most of them won't tell you what's going on with our true debt problem where we're just printing money out of thin air, and when you do that, eventually we're going to have inflation. And inflation basically is prices going up. It costs more for uh, manufacturers and and also uh, producers of services and products to produce those services and products because there's a cost to do that. And so they have to raise prices to make money. And so the Bible predicts that. I've quoted this scripture several times, but let's go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 in the King James Version here. Starting in verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld in a low a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. So immediately when you think of balances, you think of economics. Verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that you don't hurt the oil and the wine. So this is indicating worldwide financial chaos. Uh, Yeshua defined this for us and broke it down in Matthew chapter 24 uh, where he asked the disciples in verse 3, and he sat upon the Mount of Olives where he'll be returning soon. The disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And then in verse 4 he states, and I totally suggest that you listen to what he says here verse 4 and Jesus answered and said unto him take heed that no man deceive or trick you verse 5 that's the first thing that came out of his mouth when they asked him what's the sign of his coming folks that's the sign one of the major signs of him coming back worldwide deception and trickery about who God is verse 5 for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive not the few many verse 6 and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And aren't we hearing about rumors of wars? And we are hearing of wars, the rumors of wars about Iran, 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 the Middle East. And he tells us, he commands us, See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. In verse 7, Nation, that word should be translated, tribe or family, shall rise against family and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. And I just mentioned that uh, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 5 to 6. That's what it's talking about, a worldwide economic famine. And then when you have famine, you, you lose nutrients that your body needs. And what happens after that? Then you have disease or pestilence. And then earthquakes. All these things are happening around the world as I'm speaking, so... The greatest prophet who ever lived is totally accurate as always. And in verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. So let's let's keep an eye on what's going on in, in the financial markets and around the world and adjust accordingly. Uh, we must be wise stewards. Uh, we must not go around like we're little duckies going around and quack, quack, quack. We can't, we can't do that. We have to, to be prudent. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, it says, A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. And a poor prudent woman. A lot of times when it's talking about a man, in some cases in the Bible, well, I guess in many cases, and like in this case, it's, of course, talking about a woman. And then man in, 
in Hebrew means mankind in a lot of cases too. So a prudent human being foresees the evil and hides himself or herself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Okay? And are punished. So you don't want to be punished. So you need to to take heed to Yah's or God's warnings here uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith or trust. So there's nothing wrong, even FEMA, our governmental agency, FEMA, tells us to prepare for any catastrophes or things that um, we don't know is coming, like a tornado or whatever. So we should all be prepared anyway. How much more so when we have the greatest prophet who ever lived telling us what to look for. So we need to prepare for these things, and we shouldn't be in the dark about any of these things. In Luke chapter 21, again, starting in verse 34, Read this in the complete Jewish Bible version here. For clarity's sake here. It says, um, But keep watch on yourselves, or your hearts will become dull by our carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of everyday living. And that day will be sprung upon you suddenly like a trap, like a mouse trap. Verse 35, For it will close in on everyone, no matter where they live throughout the whole world. So we know that this is the case in, in verse 36 of Luke chapter 21. Stay alert always praying that you will have the strength to escape all the things that will happen and to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. Okay, so let's go back to this website here, um, World Watch Daily, Koenig International News, www.watch.org. Looks like we may get a new Secretary of State. It says, Hegel may be nominated to U.S. Oh, I'm sorry. U.S. Defense Secretary. All right. Uh, says Abbas changed his name of Palestinian Authority to State of Palestine, which is pretty interesting there. Says Palestinian Authority President Abbas signed a presidential decree changing the name of the Palestinian Authority to the State of Palestine, founding Palestinians' upgraded status at the United Nations as a non member observer state, similar to what the Vatican has in uh, Rome. According to the decree, Reported by the official Palestinian news agency Wafa Thursday night, all stamp signs and official letterheads will be changed to bear the new name. And this is interesting. So they, they are calling themselves the state of Palestine. U.S. troops arrive in Turkey. Rebels battle for airport in Syria. Again, let's please take a look at or pay attention to Isaiah 17, verse 1, that states that Syria or Damascus will no longer be a city. It appears that that prophecy is dull because Damascus is still a city right now. So uh, let's continue to pay attention to what's going on in the Middle East. It's very important. Everything will start there and end there, according to Bible prophecy. All right, so let's jump into the Bible study then. Uh, We're going to talk about something that's uh, very disturbing in society today, Uh, teenagers and, and dating and uh, of course, um, before I get into that, I wanted to, there was a few other things I wanted to talk about. It's one of the reasons also why I have this program for 90 minutes. 
uh, that I didn't get a chance to talk to you last week, talk to you last week about, or reveal to you last week about uh, uh, children uh, between the ages of zero and uh, twelve before they hit teenagers. Um, I wanted to tell you a little bit more, other than the spanking and so forth. But uh, this book that I have is a very good book. It's called Jewish Wisdom by Rabbi Joseph Tushukin. All right, and uh, on page. Uh, 154, um, there's some advice, actually, on page 155, there's some advice from the Babylonian Talmud that uh, I think we need to take uh, heed of. It says, one should not promise a child something and then not give it to him, because as a result, the child will learn to lie. And that's, that's on page 155 of this book. That's from the Babylonian Talmud, Sukkah 46b. And it says, in addition, parents should refrain from being menacing or otherwise inducing fear in their children. A man should never impose an overpowering fear upon his household. And this is uh, in the Babylonian Talmud, Gittin 6b. And there's scriptural uh, evidence to back this up uh, when we go to Ephesians. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1, we'll just read what we're all supposed to do as a family. Uh, it says, Children, first of all, what you should do in union with the Lord is obey your parents, for this is right. As I read in the King James Version. Um, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's a better translation. So you're not commanded, children, those who are listening, or teenagers for that matter, or adults, um, you're not commanded to obey your parents if your parents aren't in line with the Lord when they tell you to do something. Uh, if your mom or dad is telling you, hey, I want you to go blow a chicken's head off, uh, or I want you to do something, well, you know what I mean, something that's totally, totally crazy for them to tell you, or, or if it's something in violation with the uh, Torah of Yah or God. If they tell you, no, son, I don't want you to keep the Sabbath, you obey the Lord first, not your parents. Your parents have to be in line with the commandments. And he says, for this is right in verse 2, honor, obey, respect your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. And, you know, if you want it well with your kids, then obey your parents when they are making sense for you to obey them, right? That it may be well with thee and that you may live long on the earth. Now, this is the one that is backed up by what the, the Talmud said here. A man should not ever impose an overpowering fear upon his house. And that's interesting because men have this problem more so than a woman. Uh, verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. A lot of fathers, unfortunately, in this country and around the world, are guilty of this. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so, fathers, you know, I've been guilty of this a few times. My son will testify to that. But, but most of the time, I've, I've been very careful not to provoke um, my child or my son to anger. And let me explain what this is. This is not if you lovingly and tell your son or daughter 
to not do something, and they just go nuts and they just act like they got ten demons in them and go out of their minds. You know, that's not talking about that. That you know, if your kids get provoked because of righteousness, it's not your fault. This is talking about when fathers irritate their children and say, curse at them, slap them, abuse them, put them down, discourage them, say say all kind of things to get them to be naturally angry at them. And when a child is angry at their father about that, he doesn't blame the child for that. He blames the father. And like I said, this is mostly, in most cases, this is a father problem. It's not a mother problem. And I'm spending some time on this because this is major. This is major, and uh, fathers have to, if you want to be respected and honored, you have to make yourself honorable. Even though, even if you have a father like this, kids, you still have to do it. And I know, believe me, I know, it is very difficult to, to honor a father that provokes you that irritates you and frustrates you and say all kind of things not to motivate you to even want to keep the commandments. But you have to be strong and realize that your father and your parents have someone that's over them. And you pray to God to get them in line. But you don't talk back to them. You don't, uh, unless they, of course, try to get violent with you, you need to defend yourself. But but basically you don't talk back to them and, and and you don't try to harm them because they're harming you. And I know that's very difficult, but it can be done. And if you're in a situation like this when your parents are abusing you and so forth, call the authorities, call 911. Uh, have enough proof to prove that they're abusing you. And and believe me, they will be taken into custody and, and, and punished for what they're doing. No, no parent should be verbally, mentally, emotionally, or physically abusing their children. They should not be doing that. And if you feel that might is right in this situation, it's not. It, it certainly isn't. And you have to stop uh, provoking your children to wrath because if you continue to do this, uh, it's not going to um, encourage them to obey you or God. Okay? And uh, you can't continue to think that this is uh, justifiable. Okay, and admonition. I'm looking at the uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary. It it means uh, encouragement. So we should encourage our children, you know, give them attention, and we should have a mild rebuke, not not a not a uh, cruel. And that's what that Greek word means. No, that's ci, and it means attention, mild rebuke or warning, not not a abusive or too much of a stern type of way of correcting. And then that word nurture in the Greek means tutorage, education, training, correction. So I'm just spending some time on this because a lot of fathers do this. They they just don't know how to talk to their children. And then in Colossians 3, verse 21, fathers provoke not your children, that not they be discouraged, discouraged. And and this is Colossians 3, verse 21, athomeho, it means spiritless, disheartened, dismayed. You don't want 
to cause your, your children, whether they're your sons or your daughters, to be disheartened, to dis, dis, don't feel that they have any worth. And, and, you know, I have to, and I'm not dishonoring my father, but I have to tell the truth about what happened to me. I, I, I got so disgusted with my life that I asked God to kill me because, you know, I, I was just so discouraged by what was going on. And I'm not going to go into detail and respect to my father, but it, it was just a very difficult situation that I was in in my family. And I was discouraged, and it's the truth. I was very discouraged, but my Father in Heaven helped me with it, and I was able to overcome that situation. And uh, he's still helping me uh, to this day. And I know my, my parents did the best that they could. They just didn't know. Um, again, this scripture in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter uh, 16, Starting in verse 19, it says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth, and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things where there is no profit. So we all have a certain level, on a certain level, have inherited lies. You know, my father has, I have, everyone has. Except Yeshua, of course. You know, so... So we have to understand that, and we have to admit these things, and we have to correct whatever behavior that we acquired from our past generations and acknowledge that it's wrong and that we shouldn't do these things. So I know it's very difficult to acknowledge that, but you have to. You have to acknowledge these things. All right, so a man should never impose an overpowering fear upon his household. And he states here on page 155 of the book, many people suffer when the head of the household has a bad temper, including him or herself. So you, know, you, you can't have a, a bad temper. Uh, here's an example. Um, he says, a young child from Benai Brock broke a bottle on the Shabbat. His father threatened to box his ears, and the boy, afraid, killed himself in a deep pit. Uh, here we go. When you provoke your children to wrath, they become disheartened or, or discouraged or dispirited. They came and consulted Rabbi Akiva who said, No mourning rites whatsoever are to be withheld. Because Jewish law regards suicide as a form of murder, certain religious rites are supposed to be withheld in such cases. As a result of this and similar incidents, the rabbi said a person should not threaten a child, even with as a small as a thing as boxing his ears. Rather, he should punish him immediately or say nothing. And I did explain last week you have to be quick about the punishment. You just don't let it linger on and on over and over and over again. So, that's some, some good wisdom here. And then here's another one on page 157. It says, a man, a man should never single out one of his children for favorite treatment, for because of two extra coins worth of silk, which Jacob gave to Joseph and not to his other sons, Joseph's brothers became jealous of him, and one thing led to another until our ancestors became slaves in Egypt. And this is from the Babylonian Talmud again, Shabbat 10b. So that's important to, uh, somebody's calling me <laughs> while I'm on the, on the radio program. That That's unusual. But anyway, um, I'm going to continue on here. And 
Let's see. Okay, here's another one right here. Uh, when parents who refused to support their children were brought before Rabbi Hishta, he would say, turn a mortar upside down in public and have a delinquent father stand on it and declare, even a raven cares for his young, but I do not care for my young. This is the Babylonian Talmud, the Tubat 49b. And this is an interesting one here on page 157. Hasta Ivan Kreskus. Your son is at five, your master. <laughs> at ten, your servant. At fifteen, your double. And after that, your friend or foe, depending on his bringing up. <laughs> so again, says your son is at five, your master. At ten, your servant. At fifteen, your double. And after that, your friend or foe, depending on his bringing up. So... Again, that scripture that I quoted last week about um, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not he will depart from it. That's a very interesting scripture there. Uh, let me. I need to go get this other book here. I'll be right back. Give me about thirty seconds. Okay, I'm back, and I wanted to talk about this marvelous book that I just uh, read um, by some people I know very well, or getting to know well, Aaron and Tricia Liu, uh, Love Awaken, and it's a it's a book I'm going to talk about a little bit more as I get into the program, but uh, our, our view of marriage is just really, really messed up, and uh, we need to get on the page uh with Yah on or God on how marriage should be done. But before I get into that, uh, give me a few more minutes here. I just wanted to go over the importance of uh if you can, uh you should try to homeschool uh your children. And uh this book that I have is called the Little Book of Big Reasons to Homeschool Com Companion Bible Study by David and Kim on page um it's on page on page forty six I think. Let's see. Page forty six. Actually, this isn't a Bible study here, but uh, but basically, the book I suggest you get it. I've experienced uh, successful um, training my son uh, through home homeschooling, and I did it through a government uh, what is it called ECOT Electronic Classroom of Tomorrow, and it's very important because I, I don't have the time to really go into the details. Maybe I'll do this in another program because this is another Bible study in itself as far as homeschooling. So, um, 
I need to uh, go over um, this in another program as far as homeschooling. But homeschooling, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but George Washington was homeschooled. Thomas Edison was homeschooled and many other uh, or a few other uh, great people were homeschooled. And I suggest you get the little book of Big Reasons to Homeschool Companion Bible Study by David and Kim, um, the Escoto, and then um, the little book of Big Reasons to Homeschool. Those are some very good books to get in reference to uh, homeschooling that I suggest you get. Now, um, if you're also concerned about socialization, uh, well, they won't have any activities. Well, that really isn't an excuse, basically. Uh, teenagers can work starting at age 14. They can find them a part-time job. Uh, you can get them to volunteer, uh, like like city volunteer programs and charities, uh, sporting activities. My son's in tennis. Uh, they need to be supervised, of course, by adults. You lead these kids by themselves, and they just go into unholy terror, basically, a lot of them. Not to say that some aren't. But unfortunately, with my experience, and I know many of parents' experiences, uh, that's not the case. And you should teach your son and your daughter a trade because uh, the daughter, when she becomes a wife, what if something happens to her husband? So she needs to learn some, some kind of trade just in case she needs to generate some income. And then also... I've mentioned this before, that there's many successful women that have a business inside the home. They work inside the home, and they call it today network marketing, uh, you know, Avon, Mary Kay, uh, Watkins, uh, most of the, the, the salespeople and these network marketing companies are women. They're very successful at it. And it doesn't surprise me when you read Proverbs chapter 31 and pictures a woman that's buying and selling inside the home and goes outside the home and spends the money. And <laughs> I haven't met a woman yet that doesn't like to spend money. So uh, it's, it's in them to do so. There's nothing wrong with that. So uh, the, the important thing as I'm transitioning over now to um, the teenage age now and maybe some other things I wanted to because I got distracted by someone trying to call me, which is pretty weird uh, on my iPhone while I'm doing the radio program. But anyway, <laughs> I've had to turn it off next time. Um, here, here's some other information on page 158. Um, it says, what the child says in the street is the father's words or his mother's. This is from the Babylonian Talmud, Sukkah 56b. That's interesting. That's on page 158 of this book, uh, Jewish Wisdom. And it says, the best security for old age, respect your children. That's some good advice as well. And some fathers have a difficult time understanding that, that they need to respect, highly respect their um, their children. And, you know, the Bible says we should respect everyone and honor everyone. And so it's, it's, it's very difficult, uh, I know, for fathers to understand that, that they should also respect their children. Um, and then it says right here bittersweet reflections on parents and children Uh, it says one father can support ten sons ten sons cannot support one father it's a medieval Jewish proverb 
says right here, a Jewish man with parents alive is a 15-year-old boy and will remain a 15-year-old boy until they die. So these are some. this is some good wisdom here um, about uh, raising kids and, and how children ought to behave and so forth. And uh, it's, just, it's just real interesting. Um, but I, I think what all parents need to work on is where it says the best security for old age, respect your children. And that's by Shalom Hashk on page 158 of the Jewish Wisdom book. So um, that completes my Bible study on children, uh, a child between the ages of 0 and 12. Now let's get into the teenage years and the remaining 57 minutes that I have in this program. Okay, well, we know the big thing, the horrendous thing with teenagers uh, today, one of the horrendous things anyway, is uh, teenage pregnancy. And that that's something that is, is unfortunately prevalent in society, and this is on about.com, uh, women's issues, uh, 10 Teen Pregnancy Facts, Race and Statistics in the United States. Most teen pregnancies are unplanned. Uh, Number one, it says three-quarters of a million teens between 15 and 19 become pregnant each year. Very few teens who become mothers plan on doing so. It says out of all teen pregnancies, 82% are unintended, and that's 82%. 82% are unintended. Teen pregnancy accounts for 20% of all unplanned pregnancies annually. Number three, Two-thirds of teen pregnancies occur among teens 18 and 19 years old. Teen mothers account for 11% of all births in the United States. Out of all teen pregnancies, 57% end in birth, another 14% end in miscarriage. Number six, nearly a third of pregnant teenagers choose abortion. Out of all teenage pregnancies, 29% are terminated by abortion. Number seven, black teens have the highest teen pregnancy rate. For young women aged 15 to 19, black teens are most likely to become pregnant, 134 per 1,000 women. Slightly lower rates occur among Hispanics, 131 per 1,000, followed by non-Hispanic whites, 48 per 1,000. Number eight, teens who become pregnant are less likely to attend college. Although teenage mothers today are more likely to finish high school or earn their GEDs than in the past, pregnant teens are less likely to attend college than teens who do not become pregnant. And that's significant. If you want to, you got to get sex, 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 sex out of your mind. It's not the, the focus of life, uh, your sexual organs, you know. Uh, it really isn't. You have to get yourself together first. Number eight. Um, I already read that. Number nine. U.S. teenage pregnancy rates are higher than those of other developed countries. And that's Interesting. U.S. teen pregnancy rates are higher than those of other developed countries. U.S. rates are twice as high as in England and Wales or Canada and eight times as high as in the Netherlands or Japan. Number 10. Teen pregnancy rates declined between 1991 and 2005 but are on the rise again. So it says teen pregnancy rates declined between 1991 and 2005 but are on the rise again. The teen pregnancy rate reached an all-time high in 1990 with an estimated 116.9 per thousand and an all-time high birth rate of 61.8 births per thousand in 1991. 
By 2002, the pregnancy rate had dropped to 75.4 per thousand, a decline of 36%. However, a December 2007 report by the Centers for Disease Control shows a 3% increase in teenage pregnancy from 2005 to 2006. So all of this is from the source, Facts on American Teen Sexual and Reproductive Health, by the Guttmacher Institute, September 2006. All right, so those are sobering statistics, ladies and gentlemen, about going around, having sex, having fun, looking at MTV, looking at porno, going to parties, listening to to all this garbage pit rock, rap, dance, and soul music, and movies, and and sometimes, I guess, sporting events, if you're just going to look at the cheerleaders, you know. So then some of these TV and cartoons, they got X-rated cartoons and, and all this other junk. So if you're, if you're into that type of life, you're going to have sex and a lot of it. And and, and unfortunately, you know, when um, when you have sex like that, you're going to have kids. And then the cost of raising a child, this is a Wikipedia Wikipedia article here. Let's understand what this is about here. Um, a dual-parent family, which in a lot of cases that's not the case, so usually you have a situation where there's a single-parent family when you have all these uh, pregnancies by teens. Uh, you, you're going to have to each child is going to cost $157,410 for a teenager. That's how much each child that you deliver as a teenager will cost, $157,410, according to this article on Wikipedia. If you want to go to it and see for yourself, it's the cost of raising a child on Wikipedia. So I just wanted to present those facts to you to help you to understand the penalties and costs of doing that. Now, I know when I was a teenager, I didn't know any better. You know, when I was 14 years old, you know, I had my first kiss, okay? I had no clue. I wasn't trained properly. I didn't understand what dating is, what it was all about, and I got into a lot of trouble. And I've told my son this, I've told my wife this, and I just wish I never would have got into all the trouble that I got into, uh, still suffering from that today. I mean, I, my, my life is, is certainly diametrically opposite than the way I used to, to live as a teenager. But I suffered a lot. And thank God I didn't get a girl pregnant. And thank God I, I didn't have that issue. And I was fortunate. And, and uh, 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 God was very merciful to me. That's all I have to say about it. But I, I lived this life that teenagers are living today. It's no different than... I mean, as far as the social conditions and, and, and the, the character involved in those social conditions are no different in the 1980s than it is today. It's just that, unfortunately, through the Internet, these kids can do a whole lot more now to destroy their minds. And that's unfortunate. Very unfortunate indeed. But the key for parents to be able to properly lead teenagers is you need to get them into the Word of God, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9 states that. Uh, that's your Shema. I pointed that out to you last week. And get them to start focusing on getting their career in order. To help you to do that, um, 
jot this website down. It's the Campbell Interest and Skills Survey Test. It's www.p.paul.com. As in Frank, I-L-E-R dot com. It's www.p.paul, R as in rat, O as in Oreos, F as in Frank, I-L-E-R dot com. www.profiler dot com. And that will tell your teenager basically what his or her vocational interests are. And they need to focus their life on that. Um, the Jews have, have taught that in the Talmud, the, the proper age for marriage is between the ages of 16 and 24. In some states, with parental permission, you can get married at 16. But the majority, because of society today, the majority of teenagers aren't mature enough uh, to get married at that age. I know puberty starts around 14 years old, sometimes 13 years old, but because of societal changes and so forth, we're not considered adults at that age. And so we have to make the adjustment. And, and the way to make that adjustment is to train children to focus on their career instead of, uh, in, in a girl's case, the next cute boy or in a guy's case the next cute girl that's not what their mind should be on right now if if you have your teenager right now looking at nt mtv and looking at porno and going to drunken parties and so forth that they're not going to be focused on their career they're going to be focused on on pleasure and, and having sex and having fun and that's not going to do it all that's going to do is encourage infidelities pregnancies and and so forth and a lot of uh, anguish and pain so you need to get them to focus on that. Get them to 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 work a part time job at fourteen years old. Um, volunteer. There's so many different there's so many things they can volunteer for. That's what I was trying to say. And there's a lot of people in each community that need help. It's there. Just seek it. You'll find it. Uh, they need to be involved in activities that's going to get their minds off them, off themselves and and helping other people. That's what teenagers need to be led and trained to do. And in a very early age, as early as they can think properly, they should uh, take the Strong Campbell's Interest Survey test and and find out what they they really want to do. So that 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 should be the focus. Uh, the son or the daughter, or if you do have a son and a daughter, they should both be focusing on some kind of skills or trades. That should should be the primary focus. Now, the real good age that Judaism teaches now to get married is age 18. And I think that is possible if this process is started early. Okay, but I know in a lot of people's situation, that's not the case. Now, dating is simply preparation for marriage. It's not, well, I have a girlfriend, I have a boyfriend, and then I dump them and I get another girlfriend or a boyfriend, I dump them, I get another girlfriend or boyfriend, I dump them. I get. That's not what dating is all about. It's a very serious matter toward finding your future mate. That's what it is. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. All right? So leave means to start their own family, not move far away from their mother and father. 
Yeshua is always near his Father in heaven. So it doesn't mean just to totally get away from your parents. And, you know, the devil has successfully taught that. And that's why one of the reasons why Yeshua said family should be against family, that's one of the contributors to it. When you are separated from your family and so forth, how can you continue to have a relationship with them? Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the families were together. They were, especially with Jacob's situation, the the sons were, were with the father, and they had their own little separate camps, but they were together. And that's the way it should be, and that's the way it will be, as you'll see here in this Bible study in the future. Uh, young women are given to a young man. And Luke 17, verse 27 says, given in marriage. So that that's where that concept comes from. And then Proverbs uh, chapter 13 Verse 20. It says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So, uh, quoting that scripture, so you don't want to be a companion of fools, and you need to marry someone. Uh, I think the people that do listen to me have a desire to want to keep the commandments, and you understand that you need to keep the Shabbat. And the holy days, like Yeshua did, First uh, John 2, verse 6, said you should walk in his footsteps. One of the things he did with his feet was walk into a Jewish synagogue, and, and he kept the Shabbat, and he kept the holy days. And that's something that we need to do as well. So Second Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 14, says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Belial? And what part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement have the temple of God with idols? So he's comparing the, the people, the true people of God, who are symbolically his temple, uh, with idols, which is the people of the world. For ye are, uh, what I mean by the world, people that don't care about keeping the commandments. Um, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them. Revelation 18, verse 4 says, Come out of Babylon, and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you. Verse 18, And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, so that's very important to understand there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Verse 39 says, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. So we're quoting that scripture to to back up what we're saying here. It's very important to meet and marry or desire to marry someone that believes in, in keeping the Shabbat in the holy days and keeping the truth or the Torah or teachings of God. If you don't do that, you're going to have a difficult problem in life. Now, children should consult, or teenage children should consult their parents in reference to preparing for marriage. I know that may sound boring, taboo, all that. Well, you know, you're you're wrong. Uh, This is something that is biblical. I'm going to show this to you Uh, in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 20, states this. It says, My son, keep my father's commandment, 
and forsake not the law of thy mother. It says, My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother, or Torah of mother. Your teachings, your mother teaches you, and your father commands you. So you need to pay attention to your father and what your father states, and then your mother's uh, teachings. And in Proverbs chapter uh, 30, Proverbs chapter 30, starting in verse 17, states the following. It says, The eye that mocketh at his father and despised to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pluck, pluck it, pick it out. Proverbs 30, verse 17, The eye that mocketh at his father and despised to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. So that's how serious, folks, <laughs> he wants you to pay attention to, to your, your parents. So let's begin this process of marriage now. What many people don't understand, a marriage between a man and a woman pictures marriage, the marriage of Christ, Yeshua, and the church. He's the bridegroom. The people that he's calling out in this world right now is considered his bride. And and really, the, the whole plan of God is really outlined in the marriage relationship. And I'm going to do the best I can to try to explain this as clearly as I can. So so pay attention and, and listen to me and, and be patient with me. And I'm going to go through this beautiful story of marriage and how it represents uh, the marriage of Yeshua and his bride, which is his church, his assembly. Okay. So the first thing that needs to be done as far as marriage is concerned is choosing a mate. And the Bible indicates that's the father's responsibility to choose a mate for uh, his son. And in, in certain cases, uh, the daughter as well, because he's a protector of the daughter. But uh, and but biblically, as I see and as I've been doing a study on this, the, the daughter would get approached by the um, potential candidate to be a husband, then she said, well, go talk to my father. So that that's the way it goes either or, as far as that's concerned. So the Shidakuin, uh, that is the process of um, finding a mate. Uh, sons should consult their father on choosing a mate. Uh, in Genesis chapter 24, let's turn there here. How much time I have left here? 39 minutes, okay. Genesis chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. Verse 3. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you shall not take a wife unto my son or the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into his hand, must I needs bring thy son again into the land whence thou hast came. And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. And then verse 7, The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me and and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send an angel before thee, and you shall take a wife unto my son from hence. So the angel, if she said no, then the angel would 
would choose uh, the woman, uh, as he stated here. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this oath. Only bring not my son hither again. So if the woman, so the angel is going to assist him in this, in choosing Rebekah. And he says, if the woman refuse, then you shall be clear from the oath. Okay, so uh, some important points here to, to understand. Uh, Abraham was the father, and he, because he was stricken old, he couldn't do it himself, so he had someone else represent him to find a suitable mate for Isaac, and he said that the Lord would be with him uh, through his angel. And if she decided not to do it, then he was released from that oath. So that's the important thing there uh, to understand the, uh, a father's role in all this. And then, of course, uh, a woman is not forced to accept a man that, uh, all of a sudden comes to her and <laughs> so forth. So Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and you can look at this um, again. I'm going to picture this also uh, in reference to the Messiah and his bride. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, states this. states, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So he chose his first fruits, his bride, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's very, very beautiful. And in John chapter 6, verse 44, if I'm going too fast for you, you can listen to this again and, and jot the scriptures down. John chapter 6, verse 44 says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. So the Father, just like in the Abraham example, our ultimate Father is drawing us to Yeshua, to be his bride. All right? John 6, verse 44, no, So no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. All right? So the Father's, it's the Father's responsibility to find a bride for his son, and that's what he's doing right now. If you're listening to me, understanding what I'm saying, he's calling you to become a, the bride of his son. Matthew chapter 22, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king. That king is the father, which made a marriage for his son. So that's what he's doing right now. He's he's making uh, a marriage for his son in verse 3, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. So you're being bid to the wedding. If you can understand what I'm saying. He's calling you to be the bride of his son, the Messiah. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 1 to 2. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. Verse 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband. Espouse means to be thrown. And we're going to get into what that means here, okay? Uh, it means engage you to one husband. That husband, of course, is the Messiah. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So, again, the marriage relationship pictures the union of Yeshua and his assembly. Now, an unmarried woman or man, unless it is 
any of your first relatives, mother, father, sister, or brother, should not be alone in a room or anywhere else unless it's an emergency situation. It is considered a sexual event when a man and a woman is alone and also an appearance of evil. So you need to avoid that. Um, not that you're purposely trying to do evil. It's just that when you're both attracted to each other and in a, in a room, it's very tough to, to contain yourself from kissing and hugging that person, and you need to be doing all that in a marriage. Uh, if you can't be with family, then a couple considering marriage should meet at a restaurant, park, or hotel lobby around other people. They should never have private meetings. Again, let me voice this, and I'm, I'm doing this from my experience and from the Bible itself. If you can't be with family then a couple considering marriage should meet at a restaurant, park, or hotel lobby around other people. They should never have private meetings. Okay, so we're going to get into the example here of um, Rebecca shortly and and how that that happened and how the marriage, uh, the potential marriage or the marriage, actual marriage came about. Now, the mikvah bath, uh, I, I have a Bible study that explains what mikvah is, but basically it's being immersed in, in the water, and in, in the uh, whole process of the biblical type or, or the marriage that's done traditionally by Jews, which is, which is biblical, has biblical um, foundation, uh, both couples, they immerse themselves in the mikvah bath, which symbolizes spiritual cleansing, before they get into uh, the overall um, marriage contract. And we're going to see how this happened here uh, in the scriptures with um, Isaac, the Isaac situation. But uh, in John chapter 3, John chapter 3, starting in verse 3, it states, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So we have to, during, before and after the engagement period, we have to continue to, uh, at once we get immersed and baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, we have to continue to make ourselves pure as the bride of Christ. We have to cleanse our mind, clean our minds out, and, and, and do what we need to do to uh, be a virgin. And being a virgin uh, spiritually means to, to be clean and, and, and to be clean enough to, to marry him in a spiritual way. Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle of any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So that's what the engagement, and as I'm going to talk about here, the betrothal period, it it symbolizes that being totally, um, you know, wiping out everything that opposes God and cleansing your mind of, of wickedness with his help through the Holy Spirit. And 
in verse 32 of Ephesians 5. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Yeshua and the church. All right, And in verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Yeshua and the church. So that's, you have biblical proof that that's what marriage represents. It represents the union of the Messiah and his assembly, which is the bride. It's a very beautiful story. Okay, so let's move along here. Now, the ketubah is the marriage contract. Now, the contract that we have with Yeshua is we promise to believe him and obey him, obey the commandments. And if we break that contract, we, we have problems and issues. So we better make sure that we don't break that contract. But but anyway, I'm going to have to move on here. It's just so much to talk about and so little time to do it in, but I'll do the best I can here. Page 49 of God's Appointed Customs by Barney Costan. It says, Upon meeting the beautiful Rebecca, the servant sent by Abraham, clearly saw the hand of God, convinced of the proper selection, the servant proceeded to the next step of the Shadukin, which is called the Ketubah, written. That's what Ketubah means. The Ketubah includes the provisions and conditions proposed for the marriage. This might be called the original prenuptial agreement, or more correctly, the marriage contract. In this Hebrew document, the groom promises to support the, his wife-to-be while the bride stipulates the contents of her dowry or financial status or the bride price. This is highlighted in the account of Abraham's servant in regard to Rebecca. After talking with Laban, Rebecca's father, the servant, reacted in this way. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. This is in Genesis chapter 24, verse 52 to 53. Despite the fact that this was an arranged marriage, it seems clear that the consent of the bride was an important contingency clause. This is evidence when the servant asked Abraham, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Genesis 24, verse 5. Fortunately, in Rebekah's case, she agreed to the conditions of the ketubah. In Genesis 24, verse 58. So, and I just mentioned this, to prepare for the betrothal ceremony, it was common for the bride and the groom to separately take a ritual and mention uh, Immersion. Now, you know that Yeshua, Yohanan uh, or John the Baptist, he immersed Yeshua, so he did it too. The bridegroom, he went underneath the water, and he immersed, and he expects his bride to do the same thing. This ritual immersion in water mikvah was always symbolic of spiritual cleansing. Now, he didn't need any spiritual cleansing, but he just did it as an example for us to follow. Okay. Moving along here. And, and then... Uh, the bride price was paid, of course. Uh, he brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles going to Gaden and Rebecca. All right, so, and that's what should be done. Um, there should be, if, especially with uh, the Love Awakened book that I read by uh, Trisha and Aaron Liu, uh, they point that out in their book. And it's a very, very, very uh, good book, and I suggest that you get it. You can Google on uh, the Google search engine, Love Awaken, and their website should come up. And you should be able to order the book. 
a very good book, and it really highlights and shows you how uh, to go about this. And, and more important, the book really is a, is a motivating story of two people that had a hard life, you know. <laughs> I can relate to it. And uh, it shows you that there is a God. It really shows you that it is a God, and God will and can do good things for you. You just have to have faith and trust him and, 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 and do what he requires. And their marriage and their story of how they got married and how they continue to be married is a testimony to that. So um, this book, you can Google this, Love Awakened by Aaron and Tricia Lewis, A-A-R-O-N-T-R-I-C-I-A-L-E-U. Love Awaken. Google that. You should be able to find their website and uh, go ahead and order that book. I highly recommend. I read the book. It's a, it's a very good book, uh, and uh, uh, I really respect what they have done and what they continue to do to help people understand what marriage is all about. Okay. So getting back to, are we talking about the marriage contract? The um, the financial status, uh, we went over that, how Abraham, through his servant, paid the bridal price, or the bride price. Now we're going to get to, I want to show you the scriptures that, that justify this um, action here in Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22, starting at verse 16. It says that if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed, that's the engagement period, and lie with her, and this happens many times in this country and around the world, he should surely endow her to be his wife. If her father utterly refused to give her unto him, see, the father is the protector of the daughter. And in this situation, it's the father's responsibility to step up. All right? He shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. So the bride price is paid regardless in this situation if... You know, if he, he he has sex with her, and then when you have sex with somebody, that's like, hey, you're you're actually married to them. That's something that should not be done uh, in the improper way, and and this is indicating being done in the improper way. And if the father refuses to give his daughter to this man, then the man has to pay up. And so that 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 was definitely a motivator for men at that time not to not to to to. to have sex out of wedlock and not even being engaged. And even if he was engaged, he was not supposed to have sex before the uh, consummation, the time of the consummation. So um, that's important to understand that. Uh, let me put, I need to uh, grab something here. I'll be right back. Give me about 30 seconds. Okay, sorry about that. I'm back. And let's continue on with this. Okay, so we're talking about the uh, betrothal now. 
So we're getting to that part now. I'm just going to have to just uh, disclose some scriptures here because I don't have uh, a lot of time here. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, and Acts 20, verse 28. Uh, Yeshua paid the price uh, with his life, of course. That was the bridal price in that case. And then John chapter 10, verse 25 to 29, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 31. He states that as long as, well, I, actually, I need to read this scripture. It's important. John, I mean, all of them are important, but this is really important. John 10, starting at verse 25, right here, it states, Jesus answered, I told you, and you believe not. The words that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Verse 26, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay? And verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It says, my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. All right, so that's very important to understand that. But, unfortunately, there's going to be some that will not follow the terms of the ketubah, the marriage contract, or the fact that you promise to obey him and obey the commandments. And this is what's going to happen to them. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26, states, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remain of no more sacrifice for sins, which was symbolic of the bride price that he paid for us, but a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Verse 28, He that despised Moses' Torah, or teachings, died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Verse 29, Of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant, which is the ketubah, okay, we decided through his blood, which is the, the, the bridal price that he paid, that we would keep his commandments, where with he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the spirit of grace. Verse 30, For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Verse 31, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So just like uh, the only way an engagement could have been broken off is through a get or a divorce, in this situation. Um, also, if you disobeyed or broke the contract, the same effect there. Even though Yeshua in Matthew chapter 19 said uh, a divorce can occur also for sexual sins as well. And there's uh, examples in the Bible of that. All right, so the erosion or the betrothal period, uh, the Jews uh, traditionally today, they do it uh, with a kupa. It's a covering. It consists of a cloth or sheet, sometimes a tallit, uh, stretched or supported over four poles, or sometimes manually held up by attendants to the ceremony. Uh, kupa is, is symbolizes the home that the, the, the couple will build together. This is from, I got this information from Wikipedia on this, all right? Uh, a katusian set apart, that's what it means, and the erosion, a betrothal ceremony, it's a public ceremony to express their intention, and really is being set apart. That's what this whole ceremony is about. 
to express the intention of becoming betrothed or engaged. Rings are exchanged and a cup of wine uh, has shared to seal the engagement vows. After the ceremony, the couple is considered married. Yet they are not permitted to have sex until the end of the engagement and the couple would live separately. As I mentioned earlier, only a get, a divorce, could annul the ketubah. And that's the case, period. <laughs> uh, the bridegroom used this time for preparing a new dwelling place for his bride and children. In biblical times, a room was added to the bridegroom's father's home. And so, not like today when the son just leaves his father and goes elsewhere, uh, what was done back then is that a room was added to the bridegroom's father's home. So, uh, John chapter 14, starting in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So the bridegroom is preparing a room for us, not to be separate from the Father, but to live with the Father, uh, an extension. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So that where I am, and where I am, that means heaven. He's, that's where he's going to be, or that's where he's at right now. You may also be. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. All right, so uh, Yeshua right now in heaven is, is, is preparing, the Father and the Son is preparing. He's preparing an extension. And remember, he was a carpenter on the earth, so he, he has it in him to build, and that's what he's doing. He's building rooms for us in heaven in that new Jerusalem that's going to come back down to earth as Revelation chapter 21 reveals. Okay, so... The bridegroom used his time, and that's what Yeshua is doing right now. He's using this time, this engagement period that we're at right now, this betrothal period, for preparing a new dwelling place for his bride and children. Uh, in biblical times, a room was added to the bridegroom's father's home in John 14, verse 1 to 3. The bride focused on beautiful wedding garments and getting ready for the event. And so that's what we're doing. We're getting ourselves ready for the marriage. And Matthew chapter 26, verse 27 to 29. Let's read that. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. Verse 29, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that's interesting, my Father's kingdom. And this is part of the betrothal period, and we're going to celebrate in the Father's house. The Bible reveals that. And the Father's house, uh, when we, well, I'll get into that here in a minute here. Um Oh, I have someone that wanted to speak to me. I'll go ahead and allow you to speak. You're on the air. Hello? I can't hear you. You're on the air? Okay, we must have a bad connection. 
Okay. Um, let's get to the nisun or the marriage part. Uh, the Jewish wedding today combines the Yerushan ceremony and the nisun. There's no one-year engagement period. All right, so that's what they do today. They combine both. And on page uh, 51 of this, uh, let me just read this here. The culminating step in the process of the Jewish wedding ceremony is known as nisun. This is based on the Hebrew verb nasa, which literally means to carry. Nisun was quite a graphic description as the bride would be waiting for the groom to carry her way to their new home. And that new home, you know where that new home is located right now, folks. <laughs> there was great anticipation as the bride waited for the arrival of her betrothed one. Uh, I may, I'm probably going to go over this program, so uh, I, I just want to get everything out here because uh, this is important when I'm trying to uh, reveal here. So um, if I get cut off, you can listen to the entirety of this program in the archives. Okay, as the bride would be waiting for the groom to carry her away to their new home, there was great anticipation as the bride waited for the arrival of her betrothed one. This was to be expected, especially when taking into consideration an element unique to the biblical Jewish wedding, that is, the time of the groom's arrival, and hence the whole wedding party was to be a surprise. Any bride who took seriously the betrothal period would be expecting a groom at the end of their year-long engagement. However, the exact hour of the ceremony was uncertain as it was the father of the groom who would give the final approval for the Nusian to begin, or the marriage. The bride and her bridal party would therefore be anxiously waiting and waiting for the exact moment. Even in the late evening, the bridal party was to keep their oil lamps burning just in case the wedding was to begin. How would they know when the time had arrived? One custom was for a member of the groom's party to lead the way from the groom's house to the home of the bride and to shout, Behold, the bridegroom comes. This will be followed by the sound of the shofar, or the ram's horn, which was used to proclaim Jewish holy days and special events. At the sound of the shofar, the groom would lead a wedding procession through the streets of the village to the house of the bride. The groomsmen would carry the new son, the bride, back to the groom's house where a kupa uh, um, was once again set up. The couple would once again, as they did one year previous, say a blessing over a cup of wine, a symbol of joy. The cup was clearly distinguished from the previous cup as reflected in the traditional Shiva, the seven blessings that accompany it. The second stage of the ceremony, as found in the Nusian custom serves as the finalization of the earlier promises and vows. What was promised in the Yushin ceremony was now consummated in the Nushian ceremony. For the first time, a couple was free to consummate their marriage or else have some sex by having sexual relations and by living together as husband and wife. And that's in Genesis 24, verse 66 to 67. The pinnacle of this joyful celebration was the marriage supper. This was more than just a sit-down dinner for all the guests, but included seven full days of food, music, dance, and celebration. This is found in Judges chapter 14, verse 10 to 12. After all the wonderful festivities, the new husband was free to bring his wife to their new home and to live together within the full covenant of marriage, which is very interesting, the whole concept here. Let's try again and see if I can get you on air here. Okay, you're on the air. Hello? 
Okay, I guess we have a bad connection then again. Appreciate you calling in. Okay. Continuing on here, i got about ten minutes, and I may go over. If I do, you can listen to the rest of this uh, program in its entirety. All right, so there's a, on the physical plane, there's a public reading of the ketubah, the marriage contract. And then a second cup of wine is filled for the seven blessing ceremony. And the breaking of the glass, it helps to never forget, and this is a tradition, it never helps to forget the suffering of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. It occurs at the end of the marriage ceremony. It is crushed by the groom's heel. After the glass is crushed, a joyful cry of congratulation rings through the crowded, or the guests, rather. It is crushed by the groom's heel. After the glass is crushed, a joyful cry of congratulations rings through um, the crowd of guests. That's what I was trying to say here. The couple publicly kiss. They walk up the aisle to the sounds of music. And so the breaking of the glass symbolizes uh, to never forget the suffering of Jews and the destruction of the temple. This is followed by the marriage supper and the reception with food, music, and dance. This is on page 56 to 58 of God's Appointed Customs. Now, no one knows the day or the hour the bridegroom comes. This, this is, uh, I quote a scripture here in John chapter 3, verse 28 to 29, where John the Baptist states that Yeshua is the bridegroom. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, states no man knows that day and the hour. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 10, it talks about the virgins and them waiting for the bridegroom. So please study that, Matthew 25, verse 1 to 10. First Thessalonians 4, verse 16 to 18 talks about the time when there will be a shout, the bridegroom shouts, and the bridegroom comes. Behold, the bridegroom comes, and then we are raised and, and changed into spirit beings. We're born of, of Yah, or God. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 to 52, reveals more about that, that the seven trump that will occur. Uh, Revelation 11, verse 15 to 19, is a description of what will occur there. Revelation 14, verse 1 to 5, uh, we're resurrected. Uh, we are inside the New Jerusalem in heaven. Revelation chapter 15, verse 1 to 4, reveals that. And Revelation chapter 19 uh, reveals that the wedding, the actual wedding, will be in heaven. Uh, marry someone. Here's some advice that I need to give you. Marry someone that is compatible with you and believes in keeping all the commandments of God. I, I taught I said that earlier. I just wanted to emphasize that again, and because uh, you won't, the bride, the first fruits, symbolize uh, people that, according to their knowledge, have done the best they could to obey every word of God according to what they know. Okay, and then and then they follow their 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 master's example, which a large part of that is keeping the Shabbat and, and the holy days. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, is, is a key verse. Because after the wedding, after the wedding, Matthew chapter 24, verse 5. Oh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. 
when a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business. But he shall be free at home for one year and shall cheer up his wife, which he has taken. So after the, and this is what uh, this book, again, by uh, uh, Aaron and Trish Lou, uh, they brought out this fact that I totally did not see. <laughs> that, as the scripture states here, Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home for one year, and shall cheer up his wife, which he has taken. So this is this is interesting, and I'm sure sure that we're going to have a celebration uh, when we're spiritually married to Yeshua, uh, of not working, but just uh, actually staying at home, and we don't be charged any business, and we'll cheer up. Uh, Yeshua is going to cheer us up. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. Love. Awakened by, uh, again, I'm giving them a plug, several plugs here. Uh, lived and written by Aaron and Tricia Lou. You can Google this. Um, I don't know why. I guess their website is loveawakened.com, but I'm sure when you Google it, you, you'll be able to find it. Love Awakened, L O V E A W A K E N E D. Let's go ahead and Google that. Love Awakened, and then their name, Aaron, A A R O N, and Tricia Lou. Let me see if I can Google that now. I should probably be able to find it here. Let's see. L-O-V-E-A-W-A-K-E-N-E-D. Yes. Uh, if you just type in Love Awaken, it goes right to their website. Yes, and it has a, yeah, there we go. So just type in loveawaken.com. It's L-O-V-E-A-W-A-K-E-N-E-D. NED.com. Uh, it says a story and a song, and like I said, this is a, a great book. I read it in two days, actually two days and a half, and uh, you definitely will learn not only how to do a wedding the Bible way, but also how if you just do what Yah tells you to do in His Word, He will reward you mightily, and that's what this story is all about. It's really all about, and they lived this biblical way of marriage which pictures the whole plan of Yah of the great God so this is the Bible study um, I wanted to quote those other scriptures but uh, you can look at those scriptures on your own uh, in reference to uh, Revelation uh, if you just read all those scriptures it proves that the wedding will be in heaven, that's where the New Jerusalem is at, and uh, we will be allowed to be in his presence. What father doesn't want to see the birth of his children? And we will be birthed into being uh, his literal children in a spiritual way. And he's going to want to see us, and the wedding, of course, will be done in the father's home. So, uh, and then he prepares, or he's preparing right now, at that time, those chambers will be ready. But we're not going to just stay up there and just live there in heaven. We're going to come back down to earth, as Revelation chapter 19 reveals. We're going to come back down. Let me see. I have three minutes left. I possibly can go ahead and read Revelation chapter 19 here. Revelation chapter 19. Uh, After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. That much people in heaven is is us and, and the angels saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor 
and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged a great whore. And when it says after these things, that's after the destruction of Babylon, all right, uh, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his service at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Verse 5, And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God. All ye his service, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord omnipotent reigns. Verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be a rain and fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And verse 9, And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said, See that you do not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. And verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. That's Yeshua. And in verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, that's us and all the angels, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And we are coming back down to land on the earth to rule the earth after the wedding in heaven. The celebration will continue after the mop-up. Remember, the hill smashing the glass. There's going to be some things that we have to take care of. But after that, we're going to have a wonderful time ruling the earth and producing spiritual children so based on that may God bless and keep you and Elohim and Yah willing I'll be available to you next week Shalom peace Malachi chapter 4 for behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.